Welcome to Seen and Heard in Edmonton, the podcast about bloggers and podcasters in the capital city of Alberta. I'm your host, Karen Unland, and today we have the audio from our September podcasting meetup, where we invited aspiring podcasters to ask veterans anything about how to start and how to keep going. Many thanks to Cafe Rista for hosting us, and thanks also to the University of Alberta Music Department and CKUA Radio for providing the door prizes. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by Castria, where award-winning podcasters help you record, edit, and publish your podcast. Stephen and Erica from Castria produce this very podcast, and you'll hear more from them later in the show. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the 8th Edmonton Podcasting Meetup. Today, we're talking about how to start a podcast. And the format is a little bit different from usual this time. Instead of having a panel, we're opening the floor to aspiring podcasters to ask questions and to our veteran podcasters to answer them. So just so you know who's in the room, we're going to start with the veterans and just have them introduce themselves by saying what their podcast is called and who is it for. So if I was answering this question, I would say my name is Karen Unland. My podcast is called Seen and Heard in Edmonton, and it's for people who are interested in local podcasters and bloggers. So let's go around. We'll start with Ben. Uh, I'm Ben Yendel. I do Tales from the Hydean Way. It's about uh, Star Wars and role-playing and how to make the two better. I am the aforementioned Erica Ensign. I have, I, I don't know, I lost track of how many podcasts, six or seven or something like that. The sort of main one is called Verity, and it is a Doctor Who podcast that has uh, six women from all across the globe talking all things Doctor Who. I am Chris Sikinga. I have a podcast called Montreal Sauce, where we talk to creators and makers, and probably one of our downfalls is that we don't really have a built-in audience like role players <laughs> or things like that, so that's something you can think about in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Danica LeBlanc. I run Variant Edition Comics and Culture, and we have a store podcast called Yeggs and Bacon. Uh, my name is Daniel. I am from the Northern Nerd Network. Uh, we focus on the geeky, nerdy people, groups, and events in and around the city of Edmonton. I am also with the Northern Nerd Network. My name is Trina, and uh, we have what we call the Northern Nerdcast podcast to go around along with our network. Mm-hmm. I'm Troy Pavlik. I host Basket of Yeggs. It's a municipal politics podcast. It suffers from the same problem as Montreal Sauce in that mm-hmm. no one cares about municipal politics. <laughs> so. I care, Troy. <laughs> I mean, actually, there are people here that are good future listeners to your podcast. All right, so I want to make sure that you who came here to learn come away with having learned what you came here for. So that, now it's your turn. We want you to put up your hand, wait for the mic, and ask a question of people who have a podcast. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> my name is Trish Estabrooks, and um, my question is a technical question. Do you, like I see the setup here today, you're going right into recorder. What I want to do, though, is take the microphone and go right into my laptop into a sound editing program and I don't know which one to use. I've looked at a bunch of different ones. The one that I've worked with mostly as a journalist has been Dalet. It's super expensive, don't want to spend a lot of money, but also I've looked at some of the free ones and I don't really like what I see. So I'd love to hear your advice on sound editing programs. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's an awful lot of answers. There's probably as many answers as there are podcasters sitting over on this side of the room. And it really is. There's no one size fits all answer to that question. Uh, but as far as recording and editing, I actually record into one program, Audacity, which is probably one of the free ones that you maybe have looked at. And I don't like Audacity personally, but it works really well for recording. So I record into it and then I actually edit in a different program. So that's something to think about. Uh, but I use video editing, editing software to edit my audio. Um, I just remove the video track. So I actually don't know if I'm the best person. And which video to. editing program? I use, uh, it's called Sony Movie Studio Platinum and it is the stripped down version of Sony Vegas. Vegas is hundreds of dollars. Uh, Movie Studio Platinum is like 80 bucks, something like that. It's, it's not very expensive. It's pretty user friendly. I'll add to that in that Audacity, I also use it to record. It's great for just getting the content onto disk. The big concern with editing with something like Audacity is that it's a destructive editor in that if you make a clip at the start and you cut it out, it's gone forever. You, uh, I personally use something called Reaper. It's about 60 bucks for a personal license, but it's a non-destructive editor. So if you cut a clip out at the very start and then 40 minutes later, you're like, oh, actually that sets up this joke later, you can bring it back. And that's really important when you're editing a long podcast. Um, for myself, um, we use a pretty minimalist setup. Uh, we just, we plug our snowball mic into uh, my husband's um, computer and we just go through GarageBand. So if you want something pretty, pretty minimalist and you're not gonna go anywhere, I highly recommend that. That was my plan, because it's like I have the Blue Yeti microphone, which I'm so excited about. Because <laughs> I think the one that I bought, is it, they've improved it. Like there's not so much static with it. And I just, I just want it simple, right? Like I just, because I want that sort of raw feel to it. I don't want to edit too much. Um, and I, GarageBand's right there too, right? But the Reaper, it's Reaper, right? R-E-A-P-E-R, -E like the Grim, Grim Reaper, okay. <laughs> awesome, That's thanks. Do you, own, do you own a Mac? Yes. Then, because uh, also QuickTime, which is built in on every Mac, okay. can record as well. If you're just looking to record like one microphone into one, on one track. They're going to do an interview show, so they're going to want Two, mics, okay. Yeah. And one, Tracks. like, our first show will have a guest via Skype as well. Um, Anyone want to deal yeah. with the Skype recording yeah. questions? <laughs> I see a hand up over here. Don't use Skype. Um, <laughs> What we do, we come, um, our background is from video. So when we started doing a podcast, we did it in Google Hangouts. Um, our co-host is in Vancouver. So we record, and our podcast we put out live, so we don't do a whole lot of editing. But what we do is we, um, we use Google Hangout, and then it records straight to YouTube. Um, so we can put it up live, so people can watch along with us while we're recording. And then after that, you just rip the audio with. Yeah, I use VLC, uh, just rips the audio from that video. And, and that's a free program that you can get from online. And we just have like a, a little soundboard. So while we're going, we can just kind of mix the sounds so it's pretty even. I love and that you do it live. Yeah, it's a little bit nerve wracking, but and I mean, if we need to, we, we, like, we have Final Cut Pro, so we'll take it into Soundtrack or Final Cut if we need to actually do some editing and rip and cut it that way, because that's kind of what we're familiar with. But yeah, um, Google Hangouts works really well for us for for doing stuff not in when you're not in the same room. 
Just adding to the tooling problem, when you're recording remotely, check out a tool called Zencaster. Zen, and it's missing the E. What it does is it records every guest remotely on their own PC. So it will dump the audio track locally and then it'll automatically mix all the tracks and put them into Dropbox. So what that gets you is it doesn't send it over the internet and compress it, which gets you like sort of the clippy underwaterish sound effect. If you use Zencaster, it'll mix it. It'll give you a Dropbox clip of the highest quality audio you can get with remote guests. So try that out. Similar to that last one, there's another uh, service called, uh, it's try dot, wait. Try ca.st, I think is what it is. Try, if you Google TryCast, T-R-Y-C-A-S-T, uh, which is a similar service. Uh, the, the person on the other end has to have Chrome. That's the only sort of you know, limitation there. And you can have up to four users at the same time. And again, it will record their audio track locally on their own computer so you don't have that you know, Skype or Google Hangouts sound. I've had problems with Google Hangouts almost as much as I have with Skype. So six and one half a dozen of the other there. Um, but with Cast, it'll record locally so you have a better audio quality. And then you just have to make sure that they stay online after you're done recording long enough for that file to upload um, to you, which I mean, it takes like a minute. It's not, <laughs> it's not a long time. And that will get you, it doesn't actually like mix stuff together. So you have you have each track separately so that you can play with it all um, and do whatever it is that you need to cut and paste and, and adjust audio levels. So that is, it's fairly new. Um, I think you can get a 30 day trial for free. And then after that, I want to say it was like 10 bucks a month, something pretty, pretty low. The two programs that were just mentioned there, does the guest have to do anything to send? Okay. Uh, so it automatically sends to you. Okay. Thank you. So, there's a lot of lots of different things. I'm not sure that we made it any easier. We kind of just like threw some more stuff at you. So I would say for those of you who are really at the very beginning um, and don't have radio ex experience like Trish, um, don't get hung up in the perfect one, right? So done is better than good in this case because you want to get started and you want to learn. And I would say start with the free stuff before you spend money because y you might as well experiment in an area where it doesn't cost you any money to do that experimenting. And so Audacity and GarageBand, are, they're good enough. The other thing about those uh, free programs is um, if you get stuck, you can Google it. There's like a million people who have put up YouTube tutorials in how to fix that thing. Chris. That's all I was going to add is when you decide to like, what, what were all these notes that I wrote down today? Um, when you search, search double ender, that's sort of the podcast biz of that, the sort of interview over Skype. So you record, they record on their computer using QuickTime or whatever they have available and send you the file. So, but search double ender if you start getting confused again. Yeah. Okay. okay other questions? Hi, I'm Diane. If you were to start over now and you're doing it as a business, so you want to eventually either bring clients or have the podcast generate funds, what would you do? Great question. Don't. <laughs> That's not inspiring. If Troy. you want me to elaborate a little bit more, yeah. you're not going to make money on this. If you do make money, it's because you were exceptionally lucky, exceptionally good, or most probably a huge combination of both. Um, go into this because you love doing it or you have something interesting to say. And if you don't have both of those things, you won't make money anyway. Um, but don't go into it with the expectation of money. It's setting up for failure. <laughs> 
today I started posting more blog posts because it brings more clients than podcasts. It's if you're Mark Marin, it'll bring more uh, clients than a blog. Um, but unless you're something exceptional, most people like the convenience of I can read any portion of this whenever I want and I can control after the part that I want to read. Uh, grain of salt though. Elaborate on that a little. I think it depends on who your clientele is as well. Um, if they're the kind of the in the niche of the people that enjoy listening to podcasts, then maybe, but it's, yeah, like he said, you really have to be passionate about what you're podcasting about, or it's just not worth your time, I would say. Danica, like her podcast is very connected to her business, so that might be good. Yeah, so I am coming at it from the opposite way, and I I do agree, um, don't do a podcast to make money. the podcast that we have is part of our business so it's not a money maker Um, I see it as another another arm another way to communicate with our customers it's it's another form of social media to me Uh, we have a Twitter account for that reason we have a Facebook account we have a podcast so I, I agree if you're starting a podcast from like nothing and then trying to make money from that no (laughs) <laughs> but um, as a business, if like I don't, I don't know if anybody else in here is in the same position as me, but definitely make it part of your business. And you know, the money comes from another channel, but don't be like, yeah, this podcast will bring us thousands of customers and we'll make millions of dollars. And it's, it's you know, keep your expectations reasonable. Yeah, it's just another fun way to talk to your your clientele. Yeah. Or pay attention to your community, right? So I would say that my podcast is part of my business. It's part of my, and part of my business involves cultivating a community and paying attention to the people who are in it. And that could be a thing that you want to do as well with yours. So if you were um, interviewing people who could also be spreading the word about Innovate, if you were interviewing um, occupational therapists or you were interviewing teachers or or people that are in your space, that gives them a shareable thing that they sh- they send out to their community, which brings with it the little message that, by the way, visit innovate.ca to check out our latest products or follow our new Facebook page or all of those things, right? So it's just one more way to reach out, create ripples in your community. Well, indirectly, a lot of my questions have been answered, so kudos (laughs) to everyone around here. Um, But first time caller, long time listener, I had a question in regards to frequency. So are you gonna, what's the best way to do it? Is it like weekly? Is it bi-weekly? Is it monthly? Is it like, once every six months, you're lucky to hear my sultry, <laughs> dulcet tones. Like, and this can be on like the yeah, like the nerdy like RPG side or generic nerdity or comic books or politics or anything like that. Like, when does your audiences want to listen to you, and how frequent do they want to? We uh, when we started what a couple years ago, we started monthly, and then we moved to biweekly, and now we're doing weekly. And we found that as our um, frequency went up, so did our listeners, basically. So we find, I think we found that weekly would be. Weekly, they, they know that you're there, right? Every week you're, you're coming out with another episode. They know to look it for it. If it's bi-weekly, sometimes they, they, they miss or, they, or it gets lost. Okay. Uh, for my podcast, we, we're now recording every other week, but we're releasing every week. And 
the thing that I found for releasing and also for interaction has been regularity and communicating to your audience. If you're going to be doing a bi-weekly, make sure that's a regular bi-weekly thing. If it's going to be weekly, make sure that's regularly weekly. If you're going to have to miss something, make sure that they know about it ahead of time. Because the worst thing that I've had for listening is I'm going for a podcast and then it's not there. Yeah, actually, Ben said exactly what I was going to say. Regularity, it, it, the frequency isn't quite as much important, especially when you're starting out as the regularity is. And I think um, it, it's not a bad idea to start uh, a, a little bit slower. Like I think starting out monthly and moving to bi-weekly and then to weekly, that's a fine way to do it. Starting out weekly and then discovering that's too much and then going to bi-weekly, suddenly you know, you're taking something away from people and that may upset them. Actually, it's the internet. It's going to upset some people. There's, <laughs> there's no, no question about that. Um, but if you're going the other way, it's like, oh, you're giving them more. Uh, and I think it also depends a little bit on not so much what you're talking about, but how long you're talking about it for. If you're doing a two-hour podcast, well, first of all, probably don't. Um, but if you're doing a longer podcast every single week, that might be a little much for people to fit into their schedules. If you're doing a 15-minute podcast, by the way, do that. Those are great. Uh, weekly is fantastic for that, especially since depending on your type of podcast, you can get together with your co-host perhaps and bang out six in one session and then just have them scheduled um, to come out whenever. And I want to completely second what Ben said about setting expectations. If you are going to be missing a week or something, let them know ahead of time. And one thing that um, a couple of podcasts do that I listen to, they actually do like, they call them seasons, even though I feel like the word season is woefully out of date. But uh, so they'll have like, you know, nine or so episodes in a season. Those will come out every week and then they will just be on hiatus until the next season starts. So if you're not a, a you know, if it's an evergreen podcast, if it's not relating to local politics all the time, you can, you know, have a, a, a season and then take a break and work on all of the next ones and not release them until until you're ready. And if people are subscribing to your feed you can drop like a 30 second you know teaser one week and be like you know just a reminder in two weeks we come back with podcast x and it's going to be great for the next season so while you move it over to troy i'll just say that it's for the regularities for you too right if your podcast schedule is whenever i have time it will you will never have time and you will never do the things that you need to do to set up the guests do the social media promotion, all that stuff. So you want to make a system that works for you with all the other things that you have to do so that you know that, well, if the podcast is coming out every other Monday, these are the things that I have to do in order to make that happen. I would add, um, consider whether it actually matters uh, because in some <laughs> cases it doesn't. Uh, so for example, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, Every Friday, I go there and I listen to it because it's a recap of the week. And when they don't release, I notice and I'll tweet uh, Sarah O'Donnell about it. But other podcasts, like the Edmonton City as a Museum podcast, they just tell a story that's completely evergreen. It doesn't actually matter when they release. People will just get it on the feed and say, hey, great, there's another one of those. So if you're talking about the latest thing of the week, sure, it needs to be weekly, it needs to be monthly, it needs to be on a schedule. But if it's just telling stories, um, whenever you want. Um, just set expectations, don't release weekly and then never release again, basket of eggs. Um, but <laughs> just consider if it matters, because in many cases, it doesn't. 
I just had a question about how many of you have a Facebook page or a website that you bring the podcast back to as a way that people might listen to the podcast and they want to interact with the authors of the podcast in some capacity. And, and how important do you think that is? And what's, I guess, the easiest way to do that? What's the easiest medium to bring it from podcast format to the website where you might have an online conversation? I think the easiest way is whatever way you're already comfortable with interacting on the internet. So if you are comfortable with Facebook, Facebook is, is a great way to do that. But then anybody who's not on Facebook is not going to be able to interact with you. Um, and it depends on your audience too. If you have an audience that is nobody's, none of those people are on Facebook, that's not the greatest way to do it. If they are, though, that can be fantastic. I mean, in our household, um, Verity has a Facebook page, which really doesn't get all that much traction. Radio Free Scarrow, Stephen's main podcast, has I don't know how many thousand people <laughs> that are like that like it on Facebook, and there's a great deal of interaction. Um, most of the successful podcasts that I know of do have their own website, whether that's through you know WordPress or their own hosted site or something. And um, so, like for Verity, we have quite an active comment section so we sort of pose a question to the audience at the end of every episode and say you know what do you guys think about this episode we just watched or what we talked about let us know in the comments and people will come and you know post long screeds sometimes about things that they feel very strongly about and we can interact with them there um, my Babylon 5 podcast the audio guide to Babylon 5 same thing like people get very excited when the chat threads go up for whatever episode we're talking about and there's just like non-stop back and forth so it is I do think it is important to have a place like that on the internet if you are going to have the time and energy to interact with people. If you think you are going to be too busy to do that, it's probably better not to have a space that just sort of languishes. Um, Twitter can be a nice way to do that because Twitter limits you to 140 characters, so it's really low pressure as far as interacting with people. You can send them a thanks, that's awesome, and nobody's going to feel like they got shorted. If you do that on you know, a long blog post, they might feel a little bit sad. The other thing I say is that your podcast has to live somewhere, like the, the file has to live somewhere. Now, you can just host it on anywhere that and put show notes with it or not with it. And some lots of those places have a little bit of a comment thing, but you can't put a lot of information there. So I think you're going to want to have a website that's associated with your podcast. Um, I think for your particular podcast that you have in mind, can I say what it's about? It's about women in politics. Um, your, your audience in Edmonton is on Twitter and in Canada is on Twitter. And so I think that's probably where any conversation will happen. But you want to have like a home base where you can have show notes that give people more background. Um, it's really hard when you're listening to a podcast to register what was that Twitter account or how do I like that or how do I find out more about that? So if you send them to your website to find all that stuff, it's a lot easier on the listener as well. Um, I find uh, it's, really, it's been really helpful for us to cross all of our platforms. Um, of course, we do have a website at Variant Edition, um, uh, but we also have a really quite busy Twitter account. Um, However, we do realize that some people are only on Facebook or only on Twitter and vice versa. Um, so when you are posting to Facebook, that will be a very different message than what you post on Twitter, even if it's still a link to the podcast. Um, and it is, it is, a lot of it is the, the character length. And uh, just be kind of be aware of what media, what media you're putting on where. And, you know, Twitter 
gifts are gifts are great on Twitter. We love gifts. Um, so you know, you add a gift to a link or whatever, and maybe on Facebook you don't. Or um, it, I think I know that your audience will be very different than what I'm going for, um, but. I don't think it's good in this day and age to focus only on one unless you notice that only one is like really working for you and that's great. Um, for us it's been a mix of everything like even uh, we're on Instagram too and because we're a visual medium Instagram works better for us than it might for another type of business or podcast. You can also start small and ramp up right because you don't want the thought okay so I'm starting a podcast I'm launching a website and I got to have a Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, right? <laughs> like that will just stop <laughs> you <laughs> from starting. So I, I was comfortable with Twitter and I figured that my audience would probably be on Twitter. So when I launched Seen and Heard in Edmonton, I had a website, a WordPress website that didn't cost me anything but hosting to do and, uh, and Twitter. And then eventually I worked my way up to Facebook and, and like that. Other questions? Are there any special analytics that you used and, and how much do you track? So I'm a software developer. You won't track the same things that I track, but I track everything. Um, all of my stuff is rooted through my own website that I developed and I'll track the refers for every listen. I'll track where they came from and where they're going, how long they stayed. I, I track everything and you usually use Google Analytics to go through it. It's all on a website I made with a JavaScript tracking token. What you need to track I'd say is very little and possibly nothing. It might actually benefit you to just have a straight view count. Something like SoundCloud, something like Simplecast, they all provide you with the bare bones analytics of this is how many views I got this month. And that's a fine metric because just starting out a podcast, the absolute worst thing you can do is become a slave to statistics. It will drive you insane. So the simple metric of am I growing or am I shrinking? That's enough for you, and that's all I think you should start until you reach the Mark Marin levels of I need to sell to advertisers. You don't need that data. So don't, don't go searching for stuff. You won't like what you find. <laughs> yeah, I like the comment about becoming a slave to the analytics because I remember when we started out, I would check downloads and page views every couple of hours, and it was, it was unhealthy. Um, so, and so what I was looking at at that time, uh, we, I use Libsyn for most of the podcasts that I do and for their basic, uh, their basic package, uh, they give you how many downloads you've had, you know, per day for the next one up, which we ended up moving to pretty fast because it, we needed the storage space. Uh, they give you more information about where your downloads are coming from. So what parts of the world? And I was fascinated by that. Like, oh my gosh, somebody in Sri Lanka is listening to us. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, there, it, there was there was no benefit in looking at all of that stuff all of the time. It was just, I think, feeding an unhealthy need. And now I can't even remember the last time I looked at what our download numbers were. I can't remember the last time I looked at our WordPress uh, site to see how many clicks we were getting in a day. Um, I think sort of the amorphous way that I kind of measure now is more on interaction. Like how many people are tweeting at us after a podcast comes out? How many people are commenting on the Facebook page? How many people are coming to the website afterwards to answer that question that we, that we posed? Because to me, you know, that sort of, it shows how much we are reaching the audience in, in like in an emotional way, uh, as opposed <laughs> to reaching them as in as our information getting there. 
think it's a question of what are you trying to accomplish with your podcast. So if you are trying to create a podcast that eventually gets enough downloads to sell advertising on it, you need to know how many downloads so that you can tell the advertiser or the advertising network that you're belonging to um, how many. If you want to like start getting like Squarespace and Casper mattress ads, you've got to get at least 50,000 downloads per episode. If, you don't have to get that many to, to, to sell any advertising, but you need to get that many for mid-roll to sell advertising on you, I think. So if you're selling advertising, keep that in mind. Um, if you're selling local advertising, I mean, I sell local advertising and I don't have thousands of downloads, um, but my value proposition to that advertiser is different. If you are doing a podcast for an organization to recruit new customers or recruit new members or to spread the expertise that was, is within yours, which I think at Productivity Alberta you would be interested in doing, then you need to track what numbers do you need for the people who hold the purse strings in your organization to say, go ahead and spend resources doing this. And so you got to know, first of all, you got to manage some expectations there that first we're going to have zero listeners and then it's going to be more. But you need to be able to six months or a year hence justify to them the time that you spent. So you need to, to know how many, how many downloads or how much interaction or whatever it is that makes sense for you. Anything else on metrics? Okay, questions. I like how the definitive no about don't expect money has come back to a money <laughs> and I'm going to ask another money question. I am just curious if we, uh, it's unrealistic to expect advertising in some format. Do any of you um, try to advertise in any way for like a Patreon account or any sort of donation type format to keep your podcast going? Yeah. You talk for... Oh, pa Patreon. Okay. I, I do a podcast, uh, Doctor Who podcast, that's been going for like over 10 years now. And about two years ago, we finally had enough of an audience. It was like, you know what? Let's start a Patreon account, and we're up to about $115 per episode. We do one a, a week, so that's, you know, we split it between our three hosts. You know, it's, it's not enough to live on. We flew to England last year on the money from that to do a trip, basically. Um, so it, it helps, but I think it helps if you have a reputation going into it. Um, like Erica's podcast, Verity. It's kind of like a, a nerd female supergroup of a podcast and that like three or four of them already had like large followings before they even started the podcast. So when they started their Patreon, I think it probably ramped up a lot quicker. And what, what, are, you, what are you at right now for Patreon? Uh, that's another thing I haven't looked at in a while. I want to say it's uh, maybe $190 per podcast, something like that. But split six ways, you guys. It does not go as far as you might think. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, dinner money when we're at conventions or, you know, or drinking money when we're at conventions. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I mean, and, and Stephen said they waited a long, long time before they started their Patreon because they're three very, you know, humble, self-effacing Canadians. There's no, <laughs> there's no need to necessarily wait that long. Uh, I know some people who have started out podcasts and, you know, second episode, third episode, just announced to Patreon page, their goal for that Patreon page was just to make enough money to pay for the hosting fees on Libsyn, which is, you know, 10, 15 bucks a month or something. And once they reached that goal, they were like, that is, that is what we've done. And anything else on top of that is gravy. So again, it's really going in with, with 
eyes open and setting expectations for yourself as far as what you're going to bring in. I mean, you know, like my mom gives money to my Patreon. Like that's the kind of thing that I was, was thinking about to start with. So it's, uh, it, it's good to sort of have an idea of kind of where that money might come from and how much you might get and, and not go overboard with, with expectations. But then as you build, that can build up. And uh, Patreon gives you um, kind of goal benchmarks to hit so you know you can say once we get to this number of of dollars we'll release a special bonus super sparkly podcast with all kinds of you know fancy things or we'll you know do something um patreon is not the only way to do funding that like that but it is a very very popular one for podcasters and they actually patreon just added a new feature for podcasters and i can't remember exactly what it is because i didn't fully read the email yet but it had something <laughs> to do with being able to actually provide people i think links to the podcast through patreon instead oh, yeah. of yeah. having them direct so if you do like a out. special patrons only episode mm-hmm. yep. you, it makes it easy for you to get it to them yeah so i mean and there i can also speak well of patreon's customer service they have always been super fast to answer or any of my questions. Um, it seems like a really kind of nice community. You might have to say about that. Yes, I do. My mom doesn't contribute to my <laughs> Patreon. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's true. Uh, we started a Patreon last October, actually. We're coming up on a year, and we make a whole $5. Uh, and that's two people giving to us, one of them from Patreon, because when we had interviewed one of their community people on our show, my co-host Paul and I, she said, I love your page. I'm going to give you money. And she's the one who went down from like $5 to $3 recently. So now we're down to $5 instead of $7. But yeah, like we didn't really do much. Patreon was sort of an experiment for us, A, because we were having Taryn on the show, but B, like the whole podcast has been an experiment for my co-host Paul and I, like he wanted to do live stuff. So we do the show live and he's figured it all out on his end. And same with Patreon. We're like, would this actually work? Let's set goals. Let's see what happens. And it really hasn't been much. And have we monetized it really well? Probably not. Like we forget to talk about it and things like that. But uh, the other thing, as Erica said, is you can do other things. And we did like uh, a T-shirt we did one year. And that was, um, what was that through? It was through some uh, fundraising website. So it was like a one time only. And that was a lot of T-shirts that we sold, surprisingly. Um, And I'm sure like my mom bought three or something like that, that time. But uh, yeah, so there's other options. But, you know, like Troy said and probably wants to say again, like it's this isn't a moneymaker. Kill our dreams, Troy. (laughs) So uh, to take the knife and stab it right through your dreams hearts. Consider that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Every time you advertise and subscribe to our Patreon page, it cheapens your project just a little bit. And disagree. <sighs> but anyway. <laughs> In my opinion, it cheapens your project just a little bit. Now, it doesn't have to. There are ways to do it gracefully, but just tacking it on without a reason sort of cheapens your project, in my opinion. It's a Patreon contribution is a super engagement. So like Verity's podcast does, you track engagement. A view in your podcast, that's an engagement. A comment on your page, that's a better engagement. And contributing to the community, giving you some money, that's a super engagement. And there's very few of those super engagements unless you give a reason. So if you're not getting a bunch of people commenting on your page already, you're not going to get Patreon subscribers. So I would say don't until you have those other engagements and you're ready to ramp up. Um, Also consider Patreon 
contributors generally give to unique things. If you're providing something that they can't get elsewhere, they are more apt to contribute to it. If you're providing this movie sucks podcast number 974, <laughs> sorry, um, they're less likely to contribute because they can contribute elsewhere and probably someone else is doing it better than you. It's the unfortunate reality of we're in a small local podcast group. We don't have the massive resources of studios there's better quality products just on a surface level available elsewhere. They may not have that unique charm we have, but for the masses, they look better, quote unquote. I'm making air quotes. That, that's, that's my dream death for you, so there. <laughs> okay, but you should still do your podcast. <laughs> because the thing is, and, and here, I'm gonna make, 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 my, make my pitch for the local, right? Because that's my thing. That is the thing that I am super passionate about, that we do need to um, have local voices in this growing universe of, of podcasting. And so um, it is worth doing for a lot of reasons, but it, all of these people are right that it, it's not a, if you build it, they will come thing. There's, a, there's sales involved here, whether you are selling advertising or selling people on joint, partic downloading your, your podcast, subscribing to your podcast, going that extra step to participate in any conversation and then possibly going that extra step in supporting you if that's, that's where you want to go. Um, so it's still an important contribution to the conversation in the city. And we've got to find some ways to support the creators. That's one of the things that I'm working on slowly, taking a long time to, to get there. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, if we don't have the super engaging, regular, coming from all kinds of different points of view and topics, um, podcasts to start with, then we won't get anywhere, right? So it's, it's as the creators keep creating and we will work on how to monetize it, as they say. We'll take a break and hear from our friends at Castria, and then we'll be back to hear more from the floor at our podcast meetup on how to get started. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by Castria, where award-winning podcasters can help you make your show sound great. I'm here with Castria co-founders Stephen Shapansky and Erica Ensign. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. How did you get into podcasting before we get into what Castria is? I got into podcasting over 10 years ago when a friend and I wanted to start talking about Doctor Who. And he knew about podcasting. I did not. So he set it up and I just talked onto a mic once a week with him. And 10 years later and many other podcasts later, um, here we are. So my life has been podcasting for the better part of a decade or more. Yeah. And I discovered Stephen's podcast about 10 years ago. It was only, I think, the second podcast I ever listened to. And that was a great big part of what inspired me to start my first podcast, which is also a Doctor Who podcast. And I dived in uh, with both feet and uh, have collected a good number of podcasts since then. And it really has been my life ever since. All right. So what can Castria do for people? 
podcasting is still sort of an up-and-coming media format on the internet and, and in the world it's it's gaining popularity so if you have been podcasting already for a while and you want to improve or if you want to just take some of the work off of your plate and have somebody else do it for you we can help with that or if you are interested in getting into the realm of podcasting we can help you uh, plan what kind of a, a podcast that would look like we can help get it set up from the beginning and also we if you decide you want to be the one who's actually doing the work and all that kind of thing but you don't know where to start we can actually train you how to do that and give you tools to keep you going and then you know set you free into the world of podcasting on the internet to do that in fact if you are located in edmonton we can actually come in person and do the recording for you and the audio engineering to make sure that everything sounds as, as good as possible and in addition to the audio stuff, there are a variety of other media solutions that we can offer for you. We can do video editing. Um, both Stephen and I have published essays in a variety of magazines and books about both podcasting and genre properties of different sorts. We have done voiceover work and voice acting, uh, and we can even do a copy editing and proofreading on an hourly rate basis. So lots of lots of media solutions to mm -hmm. uh, to offer. And it's also if if you want to do like a personal podcast or something like that, like if something you love, like a show or something like that, it, we, we do work for that. But also if you're a business or something wanting to help promote your 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 brand and your product and your office and stuff. Uh, we think that podcasting is a way to sort of control your advertising message. And so that can be helpful as well. So there's a wide variety of people we can help. Excellent. Uh, thanks for coming to chat with me. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for producing my podcast. <laughs> Anytime. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, visit com to hire Stephen and Erica to help you make your podcast. They help me and I know they can help you. Castria is C-A-S-T-R-I-A and they are at wearecastria.com. Hi, my name is Odell. So I had some questions uh, regarding if you're getting guests on your show. I mean, I work in the healthcare industry and uh, I'm potentially if I was interested in doing podcasts and I'd be interested in, in, in the direction of disseminating like health information that kind of thing but if I was to get guests in the show and sometimes I mean docs um, other healthcare professionals many of them aren't very tech savvy so how do you make this as easy on them as as possible I mean it's easy when you're in you know your own room and you're you have your own microphone and you're doing your own podcast but if you have to get someone involved what kind of software or what kind of how do you make that happen so for us, we do uh, what I like to call just a quick and dirty. Uh, we do it over Google Hangouts, which we run through uh, YouTube, right? Uh, and essentially what it is, is I just send you a link. And as long as you have a microphone and a ca webcam, that is all you need. Like it most is, laptops built in anyway. yeah, most laptops have them built in. Like it is super, super, super easy. Uh, headphones, I, I highly recommend for the for the uh, the guest. Like I always say, bring your headphones, uh, just because you don't want any feedback coming back through the through the mic. But other than that, like it is so easy. Like you just send a link. Send a link. That's it. Don't be afraid to walk up to them and get them in a room. Uh, just don't. Always modus operandi should be get them physically in a room if they live in Edmonton. Like if you can go to their office, even if it's a 40 minute drive, 
go to their office and drive 40 minutes. It will give you a better product and it will make it sound better. Uh, webcam is, if you're doing it over the internet, you need the webcam because you need to be able to see them. The interactions are better face to face. That's just how humans are. So try that if you can, but sometimes you can't. I wanna tap into Ben's experience on the Skype. Both of my co-hosts are, one's in Chattanooga, one's in, well, I've done a recording with them in Guam at one point. And we're doing all the kind of big no-nos. We're using Skype. Uh, I am recording with a, actually all three of us are recording with, I call them, well, they're call recorders. That they're a separate program that you can get that will just record your Skype call. And it's very easy to just have it start up. When you make a call, it'll record, stop, and it'll split it off into two files, whatever's on your speakers and whatever's on your microphone. And with all three of us doing it, we've got the redundancy of making it so that two people's recordings can completely, utterly fail, and we still have everything for us. I'm really interested in trying out like TriCast or Zencaster, but I haven't quite yet. Since I'm doing a role-playing game uh, podcast, we talk to developers and they usually don't have much beyond like a gaming headset or the uh, headset that comes with like, your cell phone. And it's not gonna be the best audio, but it's gonna get you more than if you didn't make the call. I've actually done an entire episode with just the Apple headphone mic, like from the, uh, yeah, from an iPhone. And it wasn't the best, but I was able to clean it up enough, and I use Audacity for my editing, it's horrible. <laughs> uh, but I was able to clean it up enough that it didn't sound, it was usable audio, it didn't sound like Someone was trying to muffle him with a pillow. <laughs> yes, it's always good if it doesn't sound like murders happen. I would, I would like to, uh, to second the, uh, the thing about getting somebody in a room in person. If you can do it, that's fantastic. If it's not, I'm actually going to caution against the webcam thing because, I mean, if it's somebody in politics, yeah, you're going to probably get a better, uh, a better interview if you can see them and interact. But if you're, say, interviewing a writer of a television show like Doctor Who, who's not used to being in the public eye, you might actually not get that interview if you're requiring them to be on uh, video and Google Hangouts or on Skype. Um, so sometimes audio is actually the way to go because it makes the other person on the other end feel more comfortable. And, and yeah, we've interviewed people who have just used their Apple ear buds and as long as they're not scraping it against their clothes it actually has better sound than some onboard laptop microphones so you know like ben said you know audio that's not great it's still better than no audio most of the time for, i just want to add uh, furthermore to what troy said about getting him in the room i mean if you're looking at interviewing like healthcare professionals like in the city kind of thing i mean iphone voice memo app using it like this is remarkably good quality for a recording. So if you want to do an interview that way or something in person with someone, it, that might be a way to go too. The other resource that's available to you in Edmonton is the uh, makerspace at the Edmonton Public Library. So they have two uh, sound booths there that you can use um, just with your library card. It's free, you have to book it. 
Um, but for up to two hours a week, you can book that studio, bring your guest in, and record on their equipment into GarageBand or um, Audacity, and take your file home and edit it. It's, that's how I started Seen and Heard. Hi, my name is James. Um, so I was interested in something very similar, uh, almost the exact same question in the area of sports medicine, and I would guarantee that I would never be able to get the people that I'd want to talk to anywhere near where I am. Uh, would something even as basic as recording a cell phone call or even two landline phone calls, would that even work? Or is that the absolute minimum worst case scenario? Not from a technical standpoint, but the people might just be nervous, worried, or hard to get at a laptop in one place. And I'm sure if they started talking, they would talk forever. But the question is, if I say 20 minutes on a phone call and it becomes an hour phone call, that might be a way to get in there. But is there any suggestions if you're going as basic as recording phone calls? I, iPhone, I've done Skype interviews. You can call phone numbers on Skype for surprisingly a lot cheaper long distance than normal phones. And you can record a Skype call the same way. You know, and, and phone calls on radio shows are, are normal. Yeah, so. I actually would ask the radio people how do you is it easy or hard to because often people are phoning in yeah uh i think it's fairly easy but i think that if someone wants to talk to you they're going to talk to you regardless whether it's over the phone or in person and back to the point made over here in person is always better you have a far better interview i don't don't think yes there might be occasional one but I want to be broader than that and get the people I really want to get. And a phone call might Aren't be the only city. way to get through the door. And then after that, if you have an example of maybe the person that you've done, and someone can say, sure. this is good, this is interesting, sure. it's not going to be I guess my point is I wouldn't assume that they don't want to meet with you in person. Mm-hmm. Well, they wouldn't be in the city, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry, I'm not understanding what you're saying, but yeah. But yeah, you can record phone calls, yeah. Yeah. I do a Doctor Who podcast, and there's nothing to do with Doctor Who in Edmonton. Everyone's in the UK, so I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah, and I've done Skype and phone and even a, even a FaceTime audio recording, actually, too. So there's all sorts of different options. So in terms of uh, recording, like, a phone call, then practically, how does that happen? Like, I mean, you have, a, you have your phone, and then, I mean, if you were to use, put a microphone next to it, the sound quality is going to not be all that don't, good, eh? No. Don't, please don't do that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just thinking. Yeah, just no. It didn't sound yeah. all that good. To do it through Skype. Like, you, oh, can, yeah. you can, yeah, you can buy, like, Skype credit, and, like, because it, it costs, like, three cents a minute to phone the UK, for instance, on Skype. So you can do that, and just, it's like a normal Skype call, except you're phoning a phone number instead of a, a contact. That's how that works. But you need a rec- uh, another program called Call Recorder to yes. record the Skype call, yeah. right? So that's something that you download, and that costs money, I think. A little bit of money, doesn't it? I'm not sure. Uh, remember that, and I say this as a software developer, not all problems need to be solved with technology. Your phone has an auxiliary output that outputs analog audio, and it can go into any, any audio, audio interface. When I want to record a phone call, I call them on my phone and I plug my head phone's headphone jack into my audio interface and I record the call as if it were a microphone. Um, it's a simple thing. Like your phone, it outputs analog audio. Just use it. Um, you don't have to use Skype. If you're calling the UK though, the point about it being much cheaper is very, very apt. Um, you can get away with doing, if you're doing a local call, if you're calling the United States, just use a phone. Um, it's easy. 
it gets gets the job done. Okay, one more question, I think. This is might be a bit of a silly question, but I am sort of wondering when you said your your podcast needs a place to live. Mm -hmm. Do all of you upload your pod podcast to iTunes, to SoundCloud, any other mediums that you think are really important for us to know about? Uh, just again, in terms of being the best place to live for people to be able to find it. So that's not what I mean by live. Um, so, but that's a good question. We'll, we'll hit both of those things. So. Um, when I say your podcast needs a place to live, it means the file has to be hosted somewhere. And so maybe we'll start with hosting and then we'll go into distribution. Is that okay? Because iTunes and SoundCloud is about distribution, getting it to the people. So I'll just start. I first started just hosting my audio file on my WordPress site, which did not give me enough analytics and was going to... Um, cause data problems eventually. So I've moved to Libsyn, which Erica mentioned before. Um, what do you guys use to host? We're just using Squarespace and just make sure when you go, if you're gonna use one of the like cheaper, ready to go web builders that it has RSS capability because we started on Weebly and it didn't. So we paid for a whole year of hosting that we no longer can use because it didn't have the ability to host our website or our podcast on it. So just do a little bit of research if you're looking into using one of the, you know, WordPress or easy, cheap options and make sure it's able to host your RSS. You need to generate a feed that you can give those distribution channels. What else do people use to host? So if you're enterprising enough and you have a friend who knows software, you can do this all for free. Um, GitHub pages, for example, any software developer will know about it. And if you have a friend that that means something to, ask them about it and they'll set it up for you. Um, but essentially, w the point with hosting a podcast is your file lives one place and it generates an RSS feed that everything else reads to. So I don't upload to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever. All those services, I just submit an RSS feed and when I upload an episode to my one host, I use SoundCloud in the back end. Don't use SoundCloud. They're severely in debt and probably going to go under in the next year. <laughs> um, but you just generate your RSS feed and then it goes everywhere. It does the canonicalization for you. Um, and sorry, can you repeat that word that you said if I know a software developer, I should be? GitHub pages. Um, yeah. GitHub. Uh, GitHub. That's, they have, they have free website hosting with static pages, which is all you need for an RSS feed. Um, but it is above the level that most people would do if they don't have a software development background. Um, but that is how I cheat the system and get free hosting. So there we go. Libsyn and Blueberry are the two most common ones, like out of the box kind of things. Um, Blueberry is, has a, a plugin for WordPress. So that's why people who do that do that. Uh, I also know people who use Podbean, uh, which is another free one. And Oh, uh, there's another one that I can never remember the type, the name of, which is either free or very, very cheap. I mean, if you Google, you know, cheap podcast hosting or free podcast hosting, you're, you'll find several. Um, I, we went with Libsyn because it's been around for a long time. It's stable. They have pretty good customer service and it's not terribly expensive. Yeah, they have great customer service. I had some questions about porting my old episodes into it. They were very patient for helping me with that. My background for starting a podcast is from doing it for virtually no money. I uh, started off with a WordPress blog. Uh, we uploaded, we still upload all of our files to archive.org. 
which they're going to be getting your file anyway, might as well make it from you. And it's that's free hosting, and I've had fairly large files go there and not had any issues for downloads. And I would suggest uh, Blueberry for the WordPress plugin because it uh, creates the RSS feed, makes it very easy to go on the WordPress page to uh, view and sync up. One thing to say about archive.org, actually the very first Hugo winning fan cast ever uh, was hosted on archive.org. Um, but I believe if you are uploading directly to there, you have to agree to their Creative Commons license. So just be aware of the le legal piece of that. So then once you have that feed of your podcast episodes, of your MP3s of your podcast episodes, then you, you do want to submit them to these services that deliver it to your subscribers or so, and that make it possible for people to subscribe to your podcast. So you guys chime in if there's anything that I'm missing here, but iTunes is the one where people will expect to see you if you're for real. Um, Google Play is now has a podcast store part of Google Play Music and you should submit your RSS there as well because it makes it easier for Android uh, users to get your podcast. Stitcher is it's easy to submit to Stitcher and a lot of people like Stitcher because it doesn't download the file onto their phone so if they have limited space they might just want to be able to access your podcast in that way. And then SoundCloud, I, I agree with Troy that SoundCloud has an uncertain uh, future as far as its business model goes, but it's not a bad idea to submit there, especially for your first ones, right? Before you're, if you're just trying to figure out if you want to be a podcaster, it's, you can do, you can use SoundCloud pretty like for free at, at first and it gives you a nice embeddable player to put on your website so it's worth looking into. I just want to point out that when when Karen says submit to iTunes submit to Stitcher that's a one-time thing you don't have to do that for every single episode that you that you you know put out there so once you've got a podcast and you're feeling good about it and you're ready to have it hit the world then yes you just you know submit it to iTunes submit it to Google Play and then until the next big thing comes along, you don't have to submit to the dis another distribution site. Okay, so thank you for your great questions and your great answers. Um, and thank you so much for coming. Thanks for tuning in to the Seen and Heard in Edmonton podcast. You'll find links that we mentioned in the show notes at seenandheardyeg.com and you can subscribe to my newsletter there as well. Join the Edmonton Podcasting Meetup on meetup.com for details on future get-togethers. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.